ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Cooler Lifestyle Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Kuhlhorn, and I'm excited to have you join me as I interview community members and business leaders from the communities in which I live, work, and serve through my business, Cooler Garage Doors. We're going to bring you highlights on characters in our communities. Why? Because community matters, and I want to know more about who is behind our business and leadership in order to understand and support the community fabric that our relationships make up. Join me twice a month as we dive into getting to know each other better, and collectively, we can build stronger communities that support our lifestyles, our youth, and our health. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is Matt Kuhlhorn with the Cooler Lifestyle Podcast. Today, I have a guest, John Norton, who I'm very excited to talk with. John came into our valley in the Gunnison Valley in 1985 to work with CBMR. He then went to Aspen in 91, ended up running the ski areas there and returned to our valley in 2002 when our ski area was struggling and he, he saved it in a lot of ways. He ended up selling to the Mueller's in 2004, established a corporate interventionist consulting company. And in late 2015, he was asked to step in as a temporary head of the Tourism Association during a reconstructure. And the new board asked that he stay on. The rest is more or less history there. John and his wife, Robin, have been active in the community. They established a physically challenged ski program, now the Adaptive Sports, which I worked with for many, many years. Robin was the first ED there, and Robin was the prime mover in establishing the CBPTA. John's been very active in partners. They raised three girls here and are still passionate about skiing, whitewater kayaking, fly fishing, and mountain biking. John, it's a pleasure to have you here this morning. It's good to see you, Matt. Glad to be here. Yeah. As I understand, you're at your home office just off of Cement Creek Road. That's right. Love it. It's a beautiful spot down there. It's a beautiful spot. It's a great house. You helped with it. So thank you. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Maybe we'll talk about your garage doors because they are super unique. And um, that was when I was installing. I got in trouble for like over lubricating the springs and having that drip onto your concrete pad. I always, I hey, it's a garage. Uh, but when people ask to see the house, I always uh, brag on the garage doors most. I just love the awesome. garage. Yeah, the garage is a cool spot. John, where'd you grow up and how did this form who you are today? I grew up in the city of Pittsburgh and uh, I am the product of the Catholic school system there. Uh, I was taught by nuns and brothers uh, during all my formative years. Uh, grew up in a big Catholic neighborhood. And, uh, you know, I, I the leave behinds there are the value of hard work. And uh, to the best of my ability, uh, reflecting on, on trying to make moral judgments uh, almost all the time. Uh, I'm not always successful, uh, but I try. And, uh, you know, the nuns were tough and the brothers were tough. And uh, but they also taught the the value of prayer and daily gratitude for all the things we have. And I try and reflect on that stuff uh, every day. Uh, so uh, no complaints about my upbringing. Uh, I could have uh, complained about uh some things at the time, as we all did in our Catholic schools, but uh, that's so far in the rearview mirror. I got so much more out of my primary and secondary education 
and the Catholic upbringing than than I I can't find anything to complain about now. Yeah, in Pittsburgh, like that is considered to be in the Rust Belt. Is that correct? Yeah, <laughs> and although Pittsburgh got saved, and and uh, I'm kind of I'm, I'm surprised, uh, but you know when I was growing up, and it had a had a lot to do with why I went to college where I went uh, and how I ended up here. You know, Pittsburgh was still plenty filthy. You know, the mills were going, the barges were active. Uh, we were an industrial city with an industrial base. And, you know, there are pictures during the war years and for years to come where uh, if you're driving somewhere, you had your uh, headlights on 24 hours a day. And the streetlights in Pittsburgh were on 24 hours a day because mm -hmm. the the sky was so full of soot. Um, but uh, uh, community leaders in the late 70s, early 80s, when all the mines closed, uh, got together and they turned Pittsburgh into kind of a, a, a medical and scientific mecca. Uh, and it's where Elon Musk is testing his, you know, driverless cars with the help of Carnegie Mellon University. Uh, it's uh, the regional hub now for Western Pennsylvania, Eastern Ohio, West Virginia, in terms of uh, the medical complexes there. The University of Pittsburgh still does well. So Pittsburgh actually recovered um, where Youngstown, Ohio, Gary, Indiana, parts of Chicago have not. And it was through community leadership in the private industry, really working with elected officials uh, that did that. I, I do miss some of the grit of old Pittsburgh. Um, and those were, you know, there was terrible angst. Um, I used to be a paper boy, morning paper boy for the Pittsburgh Post and a guy that, um, uh, followed me by several paper boys actually stole money from my mom once. And I was just shocked uh, because that never would have happened when, you know, I grew up in a neighborhood where if anybody saw you doing something wrong, uh, your parents were going to hear about it, you know, before you had a chance to get home. And, and the fact that this guy stole from my mother, that, that was some of the, the bad stuff that happened in Pittsburgh during the transition, but uh, the transition happened not without pain, but it's a pretty good place to live uh, now. And I enjoy, you know, going home. Very cool. And I'm that still a, a short Steelers fan. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this, this, isn't the, this isn't the greatest year to be a Steelers fan, but I think it's your born on team. And, uh, and uh, I and all my friends from growing up, many of whom don't live in Pittsburgh, still uh, bleed the black and gold. Yeah, I'm looking at. Well, I was I started my formative years in Chicago, and you know the 1987 Bears. I'll never forget. So I can't I can't leave the Bears too far. Yeah, the fridge. Yep, that's right. So John, what's the uh, so you came to this valley in 1985 between Pittsburgh and here? What's a what's a concise story about line that? Well. You know, so I, I ended up going to Dartmouth and and I was a good student uh, in high school and had the opportunity uh, 
to go to a number of different schools. I chose Dartmouth because I was so tired of the filth of Pittsburgh. I wanted to get out in the woods in the most beautiful place that I knew of. And I never really looked west. I mean, that, you know, back in, I guess I graduated high school in 1973. Uh, I didn't know anything. I, I knew something about the Western United States, but it wasn't the type of thing. It's like, oh, I'll go to CU Boulder. You know, I never even heard of it. And so, you know, uh, my eyes were were turned east. Anyway, I ended up Dartmouth. I met Robin there, my wife. She was a ski racer. I was not. And, uh, you know, I learned to ski a bit at Dartmouth. I learned to enjoy whitewater a bit at Dartmouth. I learned to fish a bit at Dartmouth. Uh, mountain biking hadn't been invented then. And, um, you know, I spent some time in the Marines. And then I went to work for Procter & Gamble. And, you know, I was in uh, New York City when Crested Butte reached out. And because of Robin's uh, uh uh, skiing background so she was a NCAA you know alpine skier uh, her best event was the downhill she had uh, coached the eastern junior national team um, when we were getting married and and so just a huge uh, ski background uh, for her uh, when we had the opportunity to come out here uh, she said let's go uh, even though we had you know we had two kids and and Robin was pregnant with our third at the time. Uh, and uh, we never looked back. I, I just love, we both just love the mountains and love this valley. And you've been a part of TAP for a number of years through multiple transitions. Um, yeah. TAP's an acronym. How would you define TAP today? Yeah, well, so it's been six years, right? And and it it was the Tourism Association. We'd refer to it as the TA. And then the commissioners, I think three or four years ago, because we were doing so well, we were growing our revenues, uh, which is a four, our revenues come from a 4% tax on commercial lodging. So no one in the Valley pays anything into TAP, um, but our, all our guests do. And uh, the the commissioners at the time, it was, I think, John Messner leading the charge, but Jonathan uh, was on the commission then, and I think Phil uh, Chamberlain uh, asked us to help Western, if we could, because Western's so important, and they kind of threw that in the economic development bucket, which uh, the TA is allowed to spend money on economic development, and then to focus on economic development. We ended up with the ice lab and, uh, you know, those are, and, and of course we still market the Valley, but it, we were no longer the tourism association, right? We, we spend, you know, half our money and our resources and our brain power on the ice lab on Western on sustainable tourism and outdoor recreation. Uh, and the other half is, is in what I'd call traditional marketing activities. And we just had a proposal on the ballot for 6A, which my basic, basic understanding allows an altercation of funds to be able to focus on, on various priorities. Is that correct? Yes. So the, the, we had restricted funds by the state, uh, 
prior to next year. And, and those, you know, we were playing within the lines of what the state said we could spend. And the commissioners actually, I think it was Jonathan Houck and Liz Smith went to the state and said, let's see if we can pass through the state house and Senate and get the governor to sign a bill to allow other uses for local marketing, marketing district funds, and also other uh, tourism related funding, tax funding that, that is around the state and that passed. And so what just passed here is that the commissioners will be able to spend 40% of our funds uh, to help uh, affordable housing and to help uh, uh, childcare and daycare uh, activities. Uh, so uh, those are clearly uh, important efforts uh, in the Valley now. Uh, we certainly need uh, more affordable housing uh, than we have. Uh, we're past the childcare uh, age uh, with our kids, but I understand talking to people that childcare is very important to people. I, it's always been important to people, but now it's just tougher to get your kid in childcare. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, our LMD monies, our TAP funds will go to other worthwhile ventures. Uh, to the degree the the commissioners want to spend on that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I want to bounce back a little bit. What did you study at Dartmouth? Uh, I was religion and philosophy at uh, Dartmouth, and then uh, throw some physics in there. And then I actually did some graduate work in mathematics at the University of Virginia and the University of Georgia. So I've got um, some combination of science and mathematics and uh, pretty steeped in religion and philosophy. And I'll actually um, be teaching at the Rady School of Engineering with David Assad, who runs the ICE Lab. Uh, this uh, second semester this year, we're going to be teaching um, uh, the opportunities presented by entrepreneurism to interested uh, engineering undergrads and hopefully get some of those kids interested in becoming entrepreneurs and then staying in the Valley and establishing companies here, which is what the ice lab is all about. Yeah. Okay. So where's the thread? I'm trying to do spin a connection, um, philosophy, math, religion. I've always, you, you've been a silent mentor of mine for a bit now. And, and we've talked a little bit, especially as I've gotten into involvement with chamber and other community building organizations. And I've always considered you an entrepreneurial mind, um, a bit of a change agent. And um, I guess my question, like, do you see yourself that way? And, and where does the spark for business and entrepreneurialism come from? Yeah, I, I do think I'm a change agent and, and most people don't like change and I thrive on it and a, a new challenge. And so, you know, there's really, you know, so from religion and philosophy to the Marine Corps, that's a pretty big change. And then from big business, you know, Procter and Gamble and right before I was, you know, came to the Valley to work for this little ski company, uh, I was, you know, consulting uh, with Pepsi and Seagram's and Anheuser-Busch on how they could respectively sell more booze, sell more soda pop, 
and sell more beer. Uh, and it's a pretty abrupt switch, uh, you know, from the very biggest of America's companies to then end up with a little area. And that was a big change. And I obviously was able to carry some of the things I learned um, at P&G, you know, to CBMR and then over to Aspen. And then, you know, it was a very big change, you know, so when I uh, left the Mullers people and, and started consulting, people assumed I was consulting in the, in the, um, in the resort and tourism field. And I wasn't at all. Uh, I was again working with big business. So companies like the Hartford uh, and some Berkshire Hathaway companies uh, and some finance companies in this corporate intervention uh, world, which I had had to do a couple times at Aspen and at CBMR. And I found it very interesting. And it's like, how do you change? You know, how do you actually get an organization with, in, in Aspen's case, 5,000 people, 5,000 employees uh, to really take a step change in the way we do business? Uh, and it's not easy, but it's hugely fascinating to me. And so that was what I was doing in consulting. Uh, and, and honestly, in 2000, the end of 15, when... I was asked to step in and just kind of keep the lights on at the TA uh, until a new board could be appointed. And, uh, you know, I, I thought that that was going to be a, truly a temporary, a multi-month uh, position. I remember, I think it was in March or April at our board meeting uh, that I didn't sense the board was the new board was had a search going on for my replacement and i and i said to them i said can i help you know i have some suggestions i'd be glad to uh you know I, i'd be glad to help you guys find my replacement and they said nah how about would you consider staying on and the reason they said that i think and and i it it was i had spent the winter so my first three or four months at the TA, the TA wasn't working well. Right. So it, you know, from 2003, when it was established to 2015, you know, revenues really haven't, hadn't grown. And, you know, when I took over in, let's call it January 16, winter was already written. You don't start winter in January, but summer hadn't started yet. And I started researching uh, pretty heavily uh, what I thought might be the solution to our lack of growth. And I concluded it, it probably would have been mountain biking. You know, we've got the best trail network in the world, at least in the country. Uh, it was a growing sport. Mountain biking at that time had just passed road biking in hard goods sales. It was part of our culture. Um, and we didn't talk much about it. You know, at that time, you know, the top five places somewhere in the media, you might read a story about the top five places to go in Colorado to mountain bike. And we may or may not have been on that list at that time. It's kind of amazing. You know, it was Durango, often Winter Park, maybe Breckenridge, maybe Steamboat, uh, Salida, which was just wrong. I mean, we already had a better product than those guys. We had never talked about it. 
Um, and, and I think the board, uh, so I said to the board, I said, we ought to put all our chips on mountain biking and, and see, see how the, see how that plays out. But I think that could be the answer to our kind of stagnation. And, and so when the board said they'd like me to stay it with the second part of that was, uh, was okay. Don't you want to see this mountain biking thing through? And they also asked, "What happens if mountain bike doesn't work?" And I said, "Well, if mountain biking doesn't work, then we'll change, you know, quickly." But I think it's going to work. And so it, it was the the opportunity to see uh, mountain biking through that kept me at the TA uh, initially. Cool. And as a change agent, I mean. I think it's fairly obvious to most everybody that's in this valley, there's significant change occurring now. And that might've been, you know, in development and just fuel added to the fire through COVID and people wanting to exit larger towns and find a community like ours that has more outdoor venues and opportunities. Um, with the amount of change that's occurring in the valley, what are you seeing? What are you getting excited for? you know, over the next few years and what might be some potential challenges that arise with this? Well, I'm, I'm excited to see how some of our historic funding could be used to spur the development of more housing, right? So we need it. And yeah. we've got, you know, Dick Bratton's Gunnison Rising sitting there and I'm anxious to see that begin to flourish. Um, you know, Dick's still pretty healthy. I hope he's around long enough uh, to see... Uh, Certainly not all of that through, but some of that through. Uh, I'm excited about the CB South to CB Trail, you know, and, and you know, bicycles as uh, not only a great recreation and a great sport, but as a, as a way to get around. Um, I'm excited about, uh, uh, you know, CBMR, hopefully, and Vail Resorts uh, spending some money, you know, on the mountain. Uh, I hope we see uh, TO2 uh, come to fruition someday. I hope I'm still uh, ambulatory uh, so that I can ski TO2. I have done it, um, uh, but obviously it's not open to the public and it would just be fantastic terrain. It would make a real big difference uh, in the mountain. And I'm so, I'll say, uh, you know, I said, like, focusing on mountain biking was very important this summer. Focusing on extreme skiing was, is also very important. And when Vail bought, so, you know, if you think about the, the, the late 80s, when we put the North Face lift in, you know, I had been bugging the Callaways and the Waltons to put a lift in the North Face. And uh, I think Ralph Walton uh, got so tired of hearing me say that, that, that he said, look, if you want the North Face to be built, take it out of your marketing budget and build it yourself. And I looked and I think our marketing budget at that time was about a million bucks, maybe a million too. And the North Face was going to be 650 to put it in that lists were much cheaper back then. And I thought about that for a couple hours and I went back to Ralph and I said, I'll do it. Uh, and he was kind of shocked. He did not expect that answer uh, because marketing guys don't give up their marketing budgets. And I said, no, I think the publicity around 
the North face. And it's just when extreme skiing was starting to happen, uh, will be so significant that it'll dwarf whatever I could have spent that 650,000 bucks on it. And it was right. And so we grew like crazy. That's how I ended up uh, over in Aspen is we were so successful here at Crested Butte. And the, the ski industry across the country was looking at, at Crested Butte as the innovator. We focused on, you know, we obviously had the extreme ski championships. We had that great reunion uh, this winter where so many former champions came back in a celebration of all the things we did in the eighties and early nineties. And, and that worked like a charm when I left. Uh, and, and this is a story about focus. The, the, the mountain went back to kind of talking about intermediate skiing and families and, and it started falling apart. And I don't know why, uh the mountain left the extreme obviously you know kind of the extreme adventure skier is a small fraction of the alpine ski market but it's one that we're uniquely attractive to and you know in terms of intermediate skiing you know we've got snowmass and keystone and veil and steamboat and you know we're we're just it would be like me getting in the ring with muhammad ali it's just not going to work you know we can't lead with intermediate skiing although we have some and and uh you know so when i came back we started talking about the extremes again that was in 02 the mullers came in they said no we're intermediate uh, because the market's so big for intermediate uh and you know that didn't work again for the second time and then veil came in this is i'll give Vail a lot of credit for this they came in and I said, we're selling two different products, the, the TA and, and the Skiria. Uh, we're talking about the extremes and the adventure skiing that's here that is fabulous. And the mountain is talking about intermediate skiing and blue skies. And I, it, it, it's not working. And after a year, Vail uh, is very careful in its decision making, didn't jump to it, but they said, you're right. And now we're on the same page. And I think that's why we're seeing the growth in the Alpine skiing product is because we're selling a wild place that's out of the way, that's harder to get to. And we're not afraid to say that. And we never should be. You know, someone said, yeah, you're you're kind of harder. I was flying home with a guy, you know, my seat not I wasn't with him, but I was talking to him. He was landing in Denver, and I said, "Are you home?" And he said, "Yeah, I've got to go to Evergreen or wherever he was going." And he said, "How about you?" And I said, "No, I got to catch another flight uh, to Gunnison." And he said, "Oh, you poor guy. I think we'd flown in from New York, and so you always like your flights to be ending." And and he said, "Oh, you poor guy." And I said, "Well, you can say that, but when I wake up in the morning, I'm going to be in Crested Butte." And he went, "Ah." Oh, that's a good point. And, you know, it, it harder to get to, but worth it because, you know, you get a sense of being away from it all when you're in this valley. And so we can lead, you know, when people say, geez, Crested Butte's hard to get to, I say, you're right. And if it wasn't hard to get to, it wouldn't be Crested Butte and it wouldn't be Gunnison. And so, you know, if, if that's cool to you, well, come on. And if you default into an easy place to get to, then go there. Uh, and that works. <laughs> and it works with a lot of people because, as you know, we're more crowded now. But the focus on mountain biking 
and extreme skiing is is what has led to um uh you know our success these last four or five years do we have uh you know fun whitewater yeah we do but we're not the arkansas valley and and you know do we have we truly have great fly fishing and you know talking to the guys and stuff like that we're full enough but we spend a lot of time on our website talking about how terrific uh the the fly fishing is and you know we give a nod to our nordic skiing too but it's the adventure extreme skiing and the mountain biking that makes this place competitive in a world that's very competitive yeah you hear all that i love that you know my takeaways are to know who you are right and this is for personal and business um, but then that focus, that focus is so key. Yeah. And, you know, people's minds are cluttered. Mine is too. Mm -hmm. uh, with, there's something called decision fatigue, right? And and it's when you're just presented with too many options. And, and uh, you know, there's a Steve Jobs story. So Steve Jobs gets asked to come back to Apple, just kind of like I was asked to come back to Crested Butte and happy to, uh, because Apple, Apple was struggling in his absence. And Apple had 30 or 40 computers. Even Steve couldn't tell the difference between all the computers. And he, you know, eliminated all but a couple or three and then started to build the company from there. And, and you know, as a valley, if we're going to, and it's all true. Oh, we've got whitewater, we've got fishing, we've got lake fishing, we've got boating, we've got flowers, we've got trails, we've got, and all of a sudden someone trying to make a decision on that, their head explodes. You know, there's too much to consider. Even though everything we said is true, you got to figure out what you're going to focus on. And, and in, in a, in a landscape, in a media landscape, that's just overloaded with information and consumer messages. Awesome. All right. So starting to put pigtails on this conversation, John, a couple of final questions for you. One is, um, you know, looking at some of the changes, looking at the shift in allocating resources, you know, obviously housing is a big, big topic for this valley. Childcare, I think, is right up there, too, for a working individual that's a, a family person. How might business and community leaders work together even more? Like there's a lot of continuity, I feel, um, but what's the next level? Yeah, it, you know, so I was part of One Valley Prosperity Project, which is kind of how our Tourism Prosperity Project name came. And that was one of the few community efforts I've ever been part of where a bunch of people put a bunch of plans together and then actually executed on the plans. And, and that's unique, okay? Because we've I've been through processes here uh, prior where, uh, you know, a lot of brain cells were burned and a lot of time was burned and the report was finally done and it went on the shelf and it collected dust and nothing happened. And, you know, I think, you know, so, and we're still meeting with OVPP, although I, I, I forget what we're calling it now, but it's the same crew of people trying to follow up up on the same objectives uh and that's where the ice lab you know an economic development came from right is to put another economic leg on the stool of the valley besides 
Western and tourism. Um, uh, I think, uh, you know, I'm good buddies with Ian Billick, who's, uh, you know, the mayor of, of CB now, and this community compass that they're going through, that's not good. He's not going to let that sit on the shelf. He's going to start executing uh, on that. And, and I think, uh, you know, I, th I think we're blessed with some pretty good community leadership right now. Our commissioners, and, you know, there are bosses ultimately at TAP. Uh, but I'll say, you know, we've got a top-notch crew and we're recognized throughout the state as having a, a top-notch crew. And this goes back years. When I'm at the CTO or OREC or I'm in the OEdit building, which is, you know, four or five times a year probably, our guys are recognized. Jonathan and John Messner, who's no longer here, uh, I think soon Liz and now Laura, um, have a lot of respect on us. You know, it's like the little engine that could. We're not the biggest, most important valley. We've got some real political leadership talent here. Uh, and I, I think it's, it doesn't mean we don't have problems here, but uh, that that recognize these partnerships are and that the private sector could be part of the solution and isn't the problem. And an example now would be what's going to happen in housing, right? So if they took 40% of our 3.5 million bucks, whatever that is, 1.8 million, that, that doesn't buy any housing, you know, that that's a lever uh, to get housing built. And, you know, I think they, they prepped the site for Gary Gates project uh, down in Gunnison, which everybody seems to love so much. And Gary delivered the goods. Um, but, you know, I think they brought water and sewer and graded the property. And he said, I'll take it from there. And so that's a trick that they're going to need to repeat if we're going to see real progress made with what little money you know, it's big for us, but it's it's little in the scope of what it costs to build a 20-unit building. It's a lot. Our our money's not going to do it. And so they need to look for partners. And I think I think they'll find some. That's, that's awesome. Um, for folks that want to reach out, either get involved or connect with you, how might we connect with TAP and, and John Norton? Yeah, I think that... You know, we have most of our meetings at the ICE Lab. And and so that's an easy place to stop by. And if people haven't been to the ICE Lab, which is on the Western campus, kind of up the hill a bit from the football field, uh, they can drop by anytime. Uh, my website or my uh, email and my phone number are on the, the you know, the Gunnison Crested Butte.com website, which is our tourism and relocation website um and, but i'm easy to get a hold of and i think all of us are so john i really appreciate the conversation i appreciate your time um as we close do you have any final words for the day no i'm terribly excited about the future uh i think the world is getting better in almost every way our valley is much better to live in than when I moved here in 1985. Again, it doesn't mean there aren't problems and stuff to fix, 
but it's just, you know, the trails are better, the skiing's better, the libraries are better, the schools are better. We have a high school in the North Valley. We have a radio station. We It's just, you know, amazing uh, if people stop and reflect on what was and what is now. Uh, it's just a, it's just a better place in almost every way I can think of. And, and, uh, I'm so grateful to live here and I hope other people feel the same. And I think most do. Well, I'm grateful for your time. Thank you very much, John. Enjoy a great day. All right. I will, Matt. Thanks.